NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sew her a new one. What a sentence, and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Hey gang, so I got a new book out. It's called The Upside of Fear, and it's exactly what you think it's about. It's about the good side of, well getting scared. In it, we talk not only about the science and biology behind fear, but the psychology as well. And it's not just coming from me, it's coming from some of the best in the sport. Omar Alhijalan, Jeff Provenzano, Maxine Tate, and so many more have contributed their sometimes terrifying stories to the book to help you overcome your fear. So head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com. You're going to find the link to the book there as well as the other books. It's available in ebook, paperback, hardback, and audiobook right now. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with people live and in person. And before I ask who you are, cheers. Cheers, cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers. Who the fuck are you guys and what do you do? Um, we are the Diamond Brothers. Diamond Brothers. The yeah. Diamond Brothers. Um, right. Yeah, we're skydivers from Argentina. Okay. Um, we grew up in our skydiving family. 
my third generation. Third my, generation. My grandfather was a skydiver in 1956, uh, 7, 8. Holy shit. Back when it was really dangerous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he met my, our grandma in the airfield uh, flying gliders. Um, so he went along. He managed the concession on the close to the airport for a couple of years. Really? Then everything faded away, and my dad took skydiving um, in the 90s. Really? So in the 1950s in Argentina to start skydiving, there couldn't have been a whole lot of skydiving going on. How do you get started in skydiving in the 50s? Um, there wasn't much going on at that time, I believe, but he was a civil skydiver. Okay. So he was actually on competitions and different stuff. Really? So he, was, he wasn't big, but he was big enough to have... A show going on. See, around. that's when that's the the shit that I look back though, and we're we're talking not that many years ago, really, in the big scheme of things. But this was back when it was an accomplishment if you like could touch somebody else in free fall. To where we are now, only took two generations. It's pretty impressive. It is. But they're the heroes that actually got it all rolling. We're the ones that just get to take the easy stuff. Yeah. Fu funny thing is that um, he was competing in classic accuracy with round canopies. Right. Um, and he stopped skydiving when the Lemois or the, 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 they start cutting the canopies in order to have some forward drive. Really? When That's the when controls like... actually start happening there, he's just like, oh, these guys are crazy. And he... <laughs> Isn't it funny what you decide is a step too far? <laughs> Having control over your parachutes too much. Fuck that. Too much. No, no I don't want to do that. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. So you, your grandfather jumps and then your dad starts jumping. Is this yeah. because your grandfather jumped or it was his I, drive as well? I don't think he's related. No. Really? Yeah. So how did he find his way into skydiving? I don't know. I don't think I ever asked that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was a uh, one-year-old, and he was jumping in La Plata in the south of Buenos Aires. Um, and the air club um, broke the plane, and they they were struggling to fly. And a couple of buddies and him, they put together some money, and they bought a plane. Nice. Nice. And they crashed the plane three times in two years. <laughs> Didn't go so well. Um, but then when the plane was fixed, the air club bought their own plane, so he couldn't fly his plane anymore. Okay. So between him and grandpa, they, they bought a piece of land and they built their own airfield. Really? And that's where we grew up. So you grew up on an airfield, basically an heir to two generations already of skydiving experience and crashing planes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have seen many crashes. <laughs> Well, a lot of skydivers. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, you got to fill me in. Crashes, like, just randomly you're walking out the door and... <laughs> no, just like, yeah, walking out the tent we have there, you know, like at the beginning it was just a field. So sure. we start building, he started building everything from nothing. Right. So we were actually going there on the weekends after school. Like, we jump in the car, we go to the drop zone, we sleep in a tent. And that was pretty much my my whole childhood right like awesome riding bicycles or jumping into the tractor just to cut the grass and sure. try to help but we i was five six years old sure even even younger uh it was i don't know for me it was impressive and then sometimes like oh the plane crashed the plane landed on the next field the plane <laughs> we have to go pick up the, the plane and put it on the trailer and take it to so this is just normal stuff. This is like it, I grow up and and mom says dad got a flat tire. You got to go help him with the car. Except for this is a plane that's two fields over. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And um, this is a, what we're talking about. We started in 1995 with the airfield. Um, by the 2000s, there's, there was a hang gliding school with the aerotowing that joins the airfield. Wow. So um, I was 12 and I was packing hang gliders, like like just packing skydiving gear. Just like the the pilots call me ahead and I just set up gear check, flavors in hanging there. They arrive, they just jump in and they fly. And at 12 years old, you're doing this? Yes. Jesus. So at 13 years old, I was flying by myself. Really? See, that's incredible too. That's, I mean, that, and that's something you'd never be able to get away with in the States. But to be able to do that, especially on your own airfield, how cool is that? No, Did, it's, it's incredible. So like for me, I can I can say that was my best childhood. Like I couldn't, I cannot imagine something different. Like, now, but you guys are like going to school and doing all regular stuff the kids do as well. Yeah. What did the other kids think of the shit that you guys got to do? That we're crazy. Really? They thought you were crazy? Yeah. I would have thought that you were the coolest kids ever. Well, that, that's what the geography teacher um, said when I brought pictures back from flying in the, in the mountains in the center of the country. I mean, just, she, she loved it. But uh, to the other guys, we were the weirdos, you know, like, well, you guys should go play football. Really? Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose, right? I mean, it's whatever's cultural. That's what you should be doing. If you're doing something different, it's kind of weird. But still, I don't know how that's not cool that at 12 and 13 years old, you're flying all over the place and all this stuff is happening basically at your house. That would have, I would have been straight to your house after school every day just to see what the fuck was going to happen. It happens. I mean, the, the, the boys came to the field a couple of times in the summer and then we just spent time there. No? Did you... Uh, I mean, I'd imagine you go, You've obviously you've got stories to tell, so you go hang out with the kids later in the week because something cool happened over the weekend. Did they ever just call bullshit and say, no, we don't believe anything you're telling me? That happened. So we were inviting them to spend time at the airfield, but at, when they were 10, 12 years old, it's kind of difficult as well because you are so young. And then for their parents to say, oh, I'm going to let my kid go to this place with this guy. Sure. It was so also like another side of the story you know sure so we, because he's uh, like an hour from buenos aires where we where we live where they live as well so it's like it's a weekend trip right, right. you can go and come back but it's more like you go and spend the night there and then next day you come back so more like teenager stuff they were more coming and Fair enough. Enjoying time at the pool and the restaurant that was there or riding horses. Or so it was the full setup. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Now, is it still operational now? Yeah. He knows a little more about all that stuff now because he took he took over at some point. Uh, he's still operating the hang light part. My older brother, we have one brother in between. Um, he, he got over the hang light school. So he's teaching there and the place is still open. Amazing. And we have gliders as well. That so, is so cool. I can imagine, especially if the if the operation was nowhere near where the people you're telling these stories to can go see for themselves, that probably half of them didn't believe you. I'm sure you guys get the same thing now if I meet non-jumpers and you try and give them what's just a normal story to a skydiver or a pilot, and they think you're completely full of shit. So I'm convinced that all of my wife's friends just think I'm lying through my teeth all the time because of the stories that I've got, but they're just, it's just kind of what happened. Yeah. So you guys were born to end up in aviation in one way or another. I yes. tried to be the black sheep of the family a little bit. Well, Marcos actually started studying, what was that? International? 
trade, international business. And okay. Then, and then I tried to study medicine because of the same, you know, like sure. everybody was skydiving and flying. And I was like, I want to spend more time with my mom and I start playing football and rugby. Uh, and then I, I wasn't going to the drops on every weekend. Mm. Uh, and then I was like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And then one day, second year of medicine, I decided to go visit Marcos. He was living far away. And I did my first tandem with him. He was my instructor. Really? So next month, I was like, yeah, bro, I have to do it on my own. So <laughs> you fought it as long as you could. Yeah. AFF took five champs, you know, like really? that he was born for that. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, it's kind of one of those things, right? You're, you, you grow up and you're, most kids want to like push away from whatever is normal in the family. For me, I pushed away against golf because that's what dad liked, but it's hard for a skydiver to wrap their head around not wanting to go out and jump as a kid, but it makes complete sense. But you still, you did one jump and you were hooked. Yeah. However, my other brother, Lionel, um, I have a sister too, Natasha, and he doesn't skydive. Really? Yeah. No desire? Up. No desire. He did the three, third, third tandem after, well, all his life. Um, no, not that long ago, he did jump with you and I did video. What's that? No, uh, yeah. Yeah. We jumped together. Fair enough. I mean, as, as we know, skydiving is not for everybody. Sometimes people are just like, yeah. But he's a hang gliding instructor and he just flew 300 Ks in oh, okay. six hours flying. You know, he's just in his own flying style sure so he's got his own little aviation thing going yeah, on it's yeah, just yeah. not skydiving now when did you start jumping because you were you were already already flying at, at such a young age but when did the whole free fall and jumping come well out? apparently i forgot to ask my mom about um <laughs> if i could fly so she got pissed off and didn't let me skydive until i was 18. Mm. so i was packing we were going together to packing events all around south america but I couldn't jump. She didn't let me jump. Wow. So when I turned 18, I did uh, three tandems in the same day. Um, <laughs> just the next weekend, um, I started doing uh, assisted free fall because it was an AFF approved sure. in the country. And then, yeah, we start from there. Nice. Now, well, I was going to ask uh, uh, what your mom thought of it, because, I mean, obviously, if, if your dad and, and his dad had done all this, she knew what she was getting into when she married your dad. But did she know what was coming with the kids? <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, every time I, I see her, she's like, well, I don't know. It's happening already, you know? Sure. But, uh, yeah, I believe that she would like to have a doctor as a kid. I was going to say, yeah, is that yeah, tough yeah. for her? I mean, <laughs> poor woman. She, <laughs> the whole family's flying. She had a doctor and a businessman, and that went to shit, and you're both jumping out of airplanes. Fair, fair. But um, she loves, like, how happy we are with what we're doing. Sure. And she appreciates that, that's, as she said. Um, she does stress about us a little bit, you know. We decide to go swooping and just... Sure. Spiral itself in the ground, you know, 100 miles an hour. That's, she may not like the idea that much, but we try to be safe on it and just keep her. Now, does she does she understand the concept of what you guys are doing now, or is it all just jumping out of planes to her? No. Or I'm does not. she know enough about she it? She follows everything. She understands everything. She was stitching parachutes for my dad like oh, back in the days. Also, my dad is one of that survivors guys, right? Like okay, old yeah. parachutes, and then he was coming back from the drop zone, and he was like, oh, my parachute rip apart. And she was like, 
okay, what can I do? Like, do you want me to fix it? And she was fixing parachutes. So she, she understands. So she gets it. She She gets it. All right. I mean, I was, uh, I was lucky with my mom. She was blissfully unaware for the most part, what was really involved in skydiving. I mean, she knew you were jumping out of airplanes and she even went and did a tandem with me, but she didn't know free flying or swooping or what different parachute sizes meant. So I think it's easier for a mom like that if they don't know, but if they do know, then yeah, I can, I can get why she'd be a little bit worried. That that was into canopy formation mm. um, because first planes didn't go as high. Mm. There was not enough money to to go altitude or hard turbines, um, and then the canopies that they bought they were all, all used and coming from from older generation, you know, like, right? Um, so they were jumping prodigies, and I think the linings came in the two thousands, but uh, like they were they were jumping seven cells that they couldn't. Uh, we stand free for sure. So, <laughs> well, so, but how about weird? How weird is that though? They could, they were jumping cells, seven cells that couldn't handle free fall, and now you guys are jumping canopies that are the competition canopies that you shouldn't take into free fall. Fair, fair point. Kind um, of full circle right there. Well, came back, came back, <laughs> and then that was hitting gates until he missed one because it was a big hangar. So, <laughs> all right. Well, he didn't miss. Well, he hit the he gate, hit the he hit the gate. gate, he hit the gate. Now, um, w- so with the, the canopy formation stuff, did he do that competition-wise? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. We, came, we came to the Middle East in 2012 for a Mondial, and uh, we, we were in the team together. Really? Yeah. How cool was that? Oh, amazing. That had to be absolutely incredible. The, the team was uh, the old buddies that they bought the plane together, and he and me. Still competing? Yeah. Again, such a cool thing about this sport is the generational gap doesn't start. It's not the next generation takes over. It's the next generation's competing against the previous generation, sometimes for up to three generations. That's really cool. Now, when did you guys start? So you started jumping at 18. So I'm assuming your mom knew what was coming. She's like, well, shit, I made him wait this long. Now it's going to go full bore. So I'm guessing you were just 100% into skydiving as soon as it happened. Um, Yes. But I was also taking over the manifest of the job zone and oh, wow. starting businesses. So <laughs> the first year I did like 52 jumps. The second year I did 48. Oh, wow. So it, I I had to keep the planes full. So I couldn't put myself in the loads. And to do manifest, the hardest job still to this day, in my opinion, the hardest job on the drop zone. It I don't is. know how I they... agree. I did the same. And you it's... did as well. <laughs> I did it, but when I when I started skydiving, it was, I start with 10, 21. Okay. Right? So I I went for medicine and then I did my tandem and then my my FF mm. and then I was moving to a private university to a public university because I was looking at the price and I was like, that's like many jumps. Like I was like, <laughs> I can't I can't believe that I'm spending all these. This money on medicine and not the skydiving. Uh, sure. Uh, then when I, I kind of put that in pause and then I was trying to move to the other uni and then I had to wait six months before I could get into the uni because it was the next year, right? Mm. And then I moved to Mexico. Uh, Marcos was living in Mexico already and I started from zero there. Like I had, wow. I had like 150 jumps mm. and I started driving the cars. I, bo- I was packing since I was a kid. Sure. But, uh, manifest editing videos oh, uh, man. ground crewing and doing everything and every time i could sneak on the plane i was going for a jump you know and then that's how i keep 
growing my skills. And so now, was there any time when you're working manifest, thankless job, or packing, which is just brutal? You can get paid well, but it's a brutally tough job. Is there any time when you're like, "Fuck, I should have stayed in medical school"? Nah, no <laughs> regrets. Awesome. No regrets. That's like, awesome, dude. Like I was like living at the beach with my brother there, yeah. with friends, like. Yeah, it, it was good living in Mexico. It's so life. difficult to explain to non-skydivers because to a non-skydiver, that's the craziest thing they've ever heard. But to a skydiver, we already know the answer before the question's even asked. It's, well, fuck, of course he didn't. Absolutely, this is what he wanted to do. But it yeah. makes no sense to somebody that doesn't jump out of airplanes. So, bravo. Man, That's it, it shocks me and, and surprises me in a wonderful way the, the career choices that people have walked away from to come spend their lives in our sport. Even yeah. people that 30 years. Yes. Like full Successful. on, full on the business stuff. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm done. I want to do skydive. And they just quit their jobs and they start skydiving. But, but I understand them because like, while I was this, this uh, first era where I was studying and manifesting and trying to become a professional skydiver at the same time, this, I was, Going around with three phones and, and driving two hours a day sure. back and forth from the drop zone, customers and everything. When I, I finally say, it's like, all right, I'm just going to go work for someone else. Right. I didn't have a phone for a year. <laughs> I just, just, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And just that's when you grow up and you, to yourself and your life and your style and you develop your your love for the sport. No? Sure. And that, that, that really shows in in what you do and then push you to a next level. Sure. Well, and I'd imagine too, um, especially because you had to take it so slow because you were basically running a drop zone, um, you still have the appreciation for the sport in regard to the culture and the people yeah. because you're working with the people all the time. And so when the last load has gone up, you're closing the doors and enjoying the, the culture that is skydiving, which is ultimately, in my opinion, what keeps people in the sport for lifetimes. Yeah. Um, the jumps are wonderful and I love skydiving, but I've stayed in the sport for 25 years plus because of the people. You know, that's that's the hook. The community that, that we that we have is a community that is hard to find somewhere else. Yes. I believe that because we try to take care about each other. Like even if we don't know each other. Mm. Like we are on the plane, we are the same, we are friends, and if we if I see a chest trap wrong, I yes. gonna tell you, right? It's not oh this guy, he's gonna die. Oh, I'm so sorry for him. No, it's like we build that community. And sure. That's the part of this proper skydive. But then sure. after that, like doing barbecues in Argentina, we love barbecues. So every Sunday was a barbecue and people was eating all together, having some beers after, you mm. know? So it's, yeah, the community that we have, it's something big. That's, yeah, please go ahead. No, and just like, it doesn't stop in one drop zone. I, by, by souping, just going to the comps, I find the same 25, 30, 50, 90 friends all over the world and we talk about the same damn stuff sure sure so it's like i was with the happiest uh, cell like in russia in the middle of siberia <laughs> with all my friends after two years of not sitting because of covid right. it's like i just get to reunite with my friends sure. and we just sit in a tent in a field nothing else around uh, we're having a blast. And it's the most amazing thing, right? Because, and I'm sure you guys have done it many times as well, that you sit there shaking your head, looking around going, I, I can't believe 
I'm here getting to do this in a tent in Siberia for fuck's sake. That's how cool is that? That's who gets to do that. And especially because you're going to go there to jump out of airplanes and fly fast parachutes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, um, so jumping back a little bit, you're both now skydivers at this point um, and you both had worked the ground side of things. How did you both work your way into jumping full time and leaving manifest to other people and um, not that uh, fun story. The government in Argentina decided to rearrange airspace and didn't ask mm. anybody. And we were limited to whenever they wanted to us to fly. Uh, there was um, controllers were asking for more money, more salaries, and striking. And they say by the book we can only take thirty flights a day, whatever. Sure. And uh, so we end up shutting down the drop zone. Aye. So I took a little Cessna and two tandem rigs to the other side of the country and start from zero. Wow. Spent um, in the west side of Argentina, desert, kind of Arizona looking style, but a four biggest city in like tourism. Okay. So um, slow, but now without the family, without my father, without any other support, mm. I start like, uh, all right, more like contract with the airport, contract with this, fuel, Etc. When all that was running, I was hiring people to do the tandems and the cameras. Sure. And at some point, there was not enough to bring people. Sure. So I just had to put everything on hold, go get my tandem rating, go do my FF, came back and just run the whole place. <laughs> so you're literally manifesting, getting on the plane with the guy you just manifest. Oh, and that night, answering all the emails and everything. So it was uh, intense, but um, we... It was a, like a jump start for my career. Sure. No, like like it was four years full training. I know every part of skydiving, and then that's when I decided, okay, with this CV now, where can I go? Right. And send right. a couple, send a couple of emails, and it's like, okay, Mexico. Here we go. Nice, nice. Well, so I gotta ask because. It's from the family drop zone to then starting up your own operation. You just basically painted a perfect recipe for burnout. Um, I'd say 75, 80% of people that tried to do what you did back to back would not last. How the fuck did you keep the desire going? Because, man, that's that's a lot to take on, especially as a young guy. Skydiving. Skydiving is just different. <laughs> I would say that it's something different. And in the other side, I believe that competitions, um, I don't know, pushing our limits mm. to be better and keep going, keep going, try to do one more meter, try to do half second faster. Sure. That push your own limits. Sure. So I believe that that's one of the reasons why we keep doing this. Man, I mean, that's just, that's hardcore to, to do everything that you've done and still have the desire and the drive to do it. Just being competitive. I, li I like I like to be in the best in what I do. So, sure. like, if I want to manage drop zone, I want to be the best one. At it. Sure. And if I want to be a tandem instructor, I, I'm sure those hundred checks will look good. Sure. You know, like, but um, growing into it, to me, was a, a great feeling to teach people. Sure. And just, like, the community, the realization of, like, someone coming back and just, like, talking to me, like, hey, I just did my course rating. And, like, I'm using the same things you teach me and I just want to give it a little notch and go farther like that, you know, it's like just growing with all the people around me is sure. amazing. And sure. one of the, those people was Franco. So, Which is uh, awesome. So it's like he have a really quick kind of a progression 
because I was a canopy freak and I wanted to know everything about it. Sure. And I pushed him to go that way, you know? And then before I realized we were doing two ways with peregrines in the, in the beach, you know? Like, How crazy is that? That's awesome. Well, now, so he went to Mexico first. He went to Mexico. And so when you went to Mexico to join him, did you, had you earned ratings by then or did you go out there just no, I, to- I went there with 150 jumps. He okay. did, the, he did the, the hard part. Like he was the <laughs> one working hard. Right. I, I was, he was already doing tandems and like making money. And I was there just for the salary, driving, as I say, packing whenever they need and doing hard stuff, but not so hard, you know, sure. because I have a salary that was supporting me. I, I was, this money, sure, these months. Sure. Right. And then after six months working there, I did another 150 jumps, 170 jumps. And then I went back to Argentina, tried to build my place and moved to my girlfriend on, on that time. Mm -hmm. And then after six months, I did only three, four jumps. Aye. So it was like, well, this is not working. So <laughs> I, I sold my car. Like the car that was sitting there for six months. I sold my car. I went to US, jump, 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 jump. I met Marcos there. I was following him in different competitions. And then I did my tandem riding. I started working at the drop zone in Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. And then from there, I was making money to pay more skydiving. Sure, sure. Now, where in the US were you jumping? Uh, kind of bounced around? Yeah, we went in old Florida and then North Carolina Park Hall. Um, yeah, we were up, up in the north, close to New York, but we didn't jump there, which is Pennsylvania. Okay. That? All yeah, right. We went traveling. Very cool. And so by this time, you're competing. Yes. Nice. Now, you did you know canopies were the way you wanted to go early on? Because I, I learned to fly hang glider so early. Sure. The performance part of it and the technology they have in hang gliders. It was something that I was like couldn't believe we weren't using that in, in parachutes. Sure. And I just wanted to have the landing field on a hang glider. If you've never seen a hang glider land, it's just like an intermediate, like student glider will sure. support 50, 60 meters. Sure. So if you if you fly in a high performance wing, you will tube 150 meters, do a 180 and come back. Sure. And then you you flare and land. So it's like, well, I want that in my parachute. <laughs> right. At some point I applied some tracks, some hang gliders with an engine. And I was just going up to 2000 feet, turn off the engine and just like spiral down and just soup the, the, the ultralight. Sure. So, um, I don't know, it was, it was kind of natural for me. Like the side picture was there and I just got to a 120 and started doing 270s. Mm. No, there was no instructions there. There was like the fastest canopy pilot in the country at the moment was a below 111. Okay. And it's just like, I, because I grew up with the canopy formation, my dad was in those first two years, I already competed in canopy formation with my dad. Okay. So. The control, the inputs, the harness, just that was natural for me. So there was no question. And there wasn't anyone that would coach me. So I just went for it. And I, and I started with it. Poor technique, uh, weird stuff, and then survived that. Sure. Crash after jumping at 170 and then at 120 and then 170, 120. Uh, Make right. the mistakes. Right. I was coaching him. <laughs> I, when I had like 70 jumps, we went to Brazil, Boituba. He went for a competition. I was like just cheering him, you know, like I 
I was a baby on the skydive, but I was sitting on the ground, I'm looking at the people, jumping peregrines and high performance wings. Sure. He was with the JBX. Um, and, and he was asking me, hey, what am I doing wrong? Why this guy is doing way better than me? Right. And I was just looking, trying to figure out what the other guy was doing. And I was like, yeah, this guy was way farther back. Well, they are, they, this was way closer. Uh, so try to do this. Like he hold the front for that many seconds. Wow. Uh, and I didn't know much, but I was just looking and I was like trying to figure it out what they were doing to pass all the information to Marcos, recording videos like from the ground with my phone. Like, uh, how yeah, cool is that like though? The, yeah. Well, I mean, that, but that's how people learn, right? I mean, you either learn by, you know, making your own mistakes and sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong, or you watch the guys that are nailing it and you try and break down what they're doing. So that's pretty cool. Low jumps or not, you still got a pair of eyes. And if you know what you're looking at, you're at least passing on that information so he can start to disseminate what's going on. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I, w I was still in a Crowfire 99 when I went to my first comp. Um, it was a Latin American and uh, a place close to where I was uh, opening the drop zone mm -hmm. and I just show up and compete in CP and classic accuracy at the same time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the, the two most vastly different uh, arms of the sport. Well, that and canopy formation stuff, you don't see it a whole lot uh, anymore. It does some of the big competitions and such, but there's not a lot of big formations going. At least I haven't seen any in a long time, but it's underrated how fucking risky canopy formations really are and how intense it can get. Because it seems to me as an outsider, having only had people run across my top skin, um, that it's either going really well or it's going really bad. No, I don't. I don't think that's true. no. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Being there is really easy to over control and and to get someone else in a wrap and just have a shittier time. But if you are disciplined, which my my father wasn't, that's why we have this image of like <laughs> his friends and all crazy people jumping around playing with like bad gear, right? You know, I think it's more like a generation kind of thing. Like, sure, it can go wrong for sure. But then you can prevent it, and then you can be trained for it to do it right. Sure. So, I I understand the 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 vision of everybody in skydiving. It's like, oh no, I'm not gonna do that. But if someone wants to do it, the progression that they will feel is amazing. Just the connection with the canopy and everything. I'm sure. I have no doubt. I, I guess my uh, my vision of um, the bigger formations are unlike a, a can or a, just a relative work formation. Whereas if you're the guy that fucks it up, you just cork or maybe you take the formation out and everybody tracks away and opens their parachute. But there's something rather unnerving about the idea of being at the top of a stack, knowing that that guy way down there, if he fucks something up, it could chain react all the way to me and shit's going to get nasty quick. It just, especially if you're in the middle, I see these massive diamond formations and I look straight at the center and go, that guy has got balls this big because <laughs> I believe it. There's no way out. He's there. We got to get you there. Oh no! <laughs> you gotta get you there. I just I just got my hands in a couple of canopies the other day, so we gotta get you there. Luckily, I have an excuse. I got at least a year on the ground, <clears throat> so sure, absolutely. I'll say uh, you bet. <laughs> awesome. Let's, let's talk next year then. I believe that there is a lot of people that wanted to really do it, but they don't. They know nothing about that. Sure. So they are all oh, these couple of freaks doing all that stuff, and it's so much fun. I'm like, sure. Like yeah. 
Well, I mean, the the uh, planning that goes into it, the teamwork that goes into it, and then even the communication that can go into it while it's happening has got to be a blast. And it's it, it looks like it could be fairly intense, too. Uh, for weight rotations, the most intense guy I've ever done. Really? Just like going so aggressive on your canopy, just trying to dive those 30 meters to get to the other guys, like boom, 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 and just going for hitting the other guy. Right? That's And I've watched it on video, <laughs> and you're like, this is absolute insanity because it, it looks like it's a controlled crash every single time and yeah. bam and but i mean wow but to put it in in like in the way like you are seeing the videos you see of people doing that it's people that's been doing it for 20 years yeah it's kind of like go any bfs full-on team sure it's like, try to do that yeah. no you won't go there you won't be that aggressive you won't just cork inside the tunnel and right. you, no like it takes time and it starts low and then you develop into that. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Speaking of, um, you go to Mexico, you're kind of hammering through anything you need to do so that you're able to jump. How did you work your way into jumping for work instead of packing and doing all that stuff? Well, it, at the beginning, it was a way more money doing tandems than doing packing or manifesting or mm. all that stuff. So I was like, start with the tandems mm. and then I want to keep going with the skydive. I uh, really want to be a good free flyer at some point. Um, <laughs> Humble. But uh, yeah, it, that for that, you need money. Sure. Right? So that's how I was like, okay, I have to make my own money to work on this sport that is expensive. Yeah. So I started doing tandems, AFF, coaching, cameras, and it flowed. Like, we ended up in New Zealand. In New Zealand. Nice. Where in New Zealand did you jump? In Queensland. Okay, cool. I did a, a, a one season on the beach in Paihia. I jumped nice. with uh, Davy Hogg and Ballistic Blondes out there and landed on the beach and drank too much. Beautiful. Yeah, it was good. It was good. How did you end up in New Zealand? You just, like the sport is, you just knew people yeah. and ended up out there? Yeah, just um, looking for to work in the biggest skydiving company that was around. And then for me, when I built a CV, it was like, well, these guys are doing awesome for the last 10 years. And sure. I'm... So their website 10 years ago and I see it now and still busy. Sure. So it's like, okay, I got to get there. and just did some things around states and just like South America around, but I, it wasn't enough. I just was missing the volume. Sure. So I went there. I had too much volume. <laughs> <laughs> too many jumps. Yeah, it can get there, right? I mean, yeah. how many, how, how, you jumping, I'm assuming six, seven days a week. Yeah, uh, whenever the weather was good, we were doing nine to 12 jumps a day. Um, so the 3,500 tons in two years. Jesus, that's a lot. That's um, a whole lot. Yeah, so burnout, um, yes. And I, at some point, the drop zone didn't let us do more than 90 degree turns. And I was a canopy pilot. I was a... They couldn't fly your canopy. <laughs> yes, it was a little bit frustrating. So we helped to develop a program to get back into it, you know, to like clear out people and just coaching. And the, the drop zone didn't want anything to do with it. Sure. Like just liabilities. Just, I don't want it. But if you're willing to lose your job, if someone gets hurt, uh, come up with a program and then we fix it. So with the with the top kind of pilots that were there, we work in a way to clear people out and just supervise them. Sure. And just like, I can do this for a living. I was coaching and traveling all on on the weekends and then so holidays. Um. So we figure out, and then after that, it's just like went full on coaching. Nice. 
So the last three years I've been coaching cannabis pilots around and throughout the whole pandemic doing it online. So we have a support system and people all over keeps getting coaching. So. Well, and it's back to that passion, right? Because yeah. uh, I mean, love skydiving or hate skydiving. I, my favorite way to jump on a consistent basis was doing tandems because I enjoyed the interaction with the students. I just had a good time with it. And it was a no brainer, as weird as that sounds, it's just a no brainer way to skydive. It's a very specific thing that you're going to do. And it, it becomes what started out as a terrifying way to skydive is a very easy way to skydive. Second nature. Yeah. 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 Um, but there's a, there's still, there's a point that's uh, all right, enough is enough. I worked at cross keys during its heyday where we were doing 25 tandems a piece a day. Uh, and it's too much. I, I believe that you need the balance yes. between doing that and doing different stuff like coaching people. Now we are both canopy coaches and coaching people or just going for a free flight jump or just mixing it with a AFF or cameras, you know, like flying your body. Um, if you have that balance, you can have a really long career as well. Sure. Because you don't burn from this. Like everything in the skydiving is so different. So from doing tandem, that is something really natural, easy at some point. Um, you can go to do an AFF, which is super challenging. Sure. Or you can go to do canopy coaching, but you can have a progression with the student from zero to hero. Sure. And it's also super interesting to see how they grow in and the questions that they have or how how they are gonna ask you about different canopies and should i go through this one or this one and it's also a life changer for them because they are going full on with something with the sport sure it's gonna change their lives yes they start traveling around for competitions or they start jumping every weekend it's more like a, a mentorship part of it no sure you go with someone else it's not stressful at all and i wouldn't recommend it for anybody <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's funny too because uh, i did aff for a bunch of years as well but ended up stopping aff because the uh canopy side of things a couple of my students had shit landings that just man i couldn't do it watching it and being on the radio and you're, you want to be able to help and you want to do it for them and you watch them just drill themselves into the ground and the stress got to be too much for me. I couldn't handle it. So I applaud you guys for being able to do that because fuck me, I'm not the guy to get them there. It's difficult. Yeah. To be fair with you, man, it's difficult. When I see somebody like it's a really friend of mine <laughs> bouncing or yes at the hospital because he did it wrong, you know, and you know, like since since you are on the ground and you, you're looking at them and you know he's going to get hurt. <laughs> yes. You're like, that's bad. You know, like that feeling is really bad feeling. And there's that, nothing you can do. Nothing. But, well, but on the other hand, you see people without getting the coaching that is still going to get hurt. Sure. And then you want to jump in and you want to help them. For sure. Or extend your hands, like, take it, please. I For can, sure. I can help you. Well, now, so um, if you're training higher level canopy pilots, guys that are looking to compete and that are really starting to get into, I mean, it's fair to say that danger zone. Um, that's got to be pretty stressful as well, too, though, right? I mean, you're trying to give them all the tools to succeed, but you're also giving them the same tools that they can fuck themselves up with pretty big. Yes, but in the other side, I believe that it's more dangerous when they start to pin. Sure. At the beginning, the first couple of steps, because they start building the speed sure. enough to get hurt, but they still don't have the side picture and the whole timing and everything that they need for the proper super. Sure. If you are working with a high performance pilot already, they 
they have that feelings. Sure. So yeah, they, if, they know if, when if they you can little... split it in like statistics, like people will hurt themselves more with a 90 or a 270 that once they're doing 450s or sure. turns or something, a, a, a better, no? So um, yes, they will hurt themselves badly if they make a mistake, but they won't hurt themselves as much. The sure. incidents will be a lot less. Sure. Well, and I suppose too, as you deal with people that have more experience, you also deal with people that are going to be able to... Um, have the capacity to make decisions a little bit better as well. I had uh, Cornelia Mihai try and give me tips to go from 270s to 450. Uh, and I've been a 270 guy forever. Nobody's ever going to be impressed with my swoops. They're fun, but they're not impressive. They're just whatever. And she talked me through it on the ground. And we got in the plane and I did the hop and pop and I set up to where I was supposed to do the 450. And I swear I got 15 degrees into it and went, nah, fuck that. <laughs> I'm doing 270s. And I land and she's like, the fuck was that? And I'm like, nope, I don't have it. That's not for me. <laughs> I'm good. Literally 15 degrees into it. I'm like, this picture is completely wrong. I am going to fuck myself up. I'm done. <laughs> it is. That You know, as, as a kind of a coach, what, what we do the most is trying to help people at like, emotional support sure like anyone can teach you to do a harness turn anyone can teach you to pull the front but uh just being there and give you the information you need all day it's just like today we're gonna work with forecasts today we're gonna go with patterns and setups you know like, sure so you are confident enough to do the technique that is gonna scare the shit out of you sure sure well in i think a lot of um being a good student for guys like you too is also um being willing to learn from other people's mistakes, right? That's the biggest thing. Skydiving is not a sport where you want to learn from your own mistakes if you can avoid it. Yeah. You know, uh, I had uh, Nick Batch on not that long ago um, talking about his accident and the recovery to it and the blow to his confidence that it was for a while and what it took him to get back to it. But to be able to pass that lesson on, and I'm sure you guys have got those stories as well, where shit went wrong and this is what happened. Those are the biggest learning tools I would imagine is this is what happened. This is what it did to me. <laughs> you don't want to do this. Yeah. We, we do have our own, own little crashes and bounces, you know, and sure. then we, we survive. We, we, we were lucky at the end of the day, you know, like, uh, or well built. We are, we are one meter 60 and 60 kilos, like. Right. Made of rubber. Right. With bounds. I got a, I got a really good buddy that's an OG swooper by the name of Danny Kuhn. And he's a uh, same build as you guys. He's just short and stocky. And this fucking guy is one of the greatest swoopers ever. And he's just got this low center of gravity, <laughs> whatever it is. And he's just fantastic at it. And he says the same thing. He's just, I'm closer to the ground. I'm not going <laughs> to. And he fits in the, hurt. he fits in the plane better too. So <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I can stand in a twin order. Yeah. I split my legs apart. Yeah. You can't beat that. You can't beat yeah. that at all. So what is what does the future hold for you guys? I mean, obviously you're competing in your your coaching and all that kind of stuff. And granted, COVID has been fucking weird for everybody. But what is what is down the line look at? Well, we still competing. Well, in 2020, 2021, we still travel the most we ever travel. Mm. Um, we st we still did our thing and. If 2021 was a great season, so we have full support of the, the brands and sponsors to go into the 2022. Uh, we have War Games, we have a Sampad Open, um, a couple of LTPAs nice. uh, on, down the line, um, U.S. nationals uh, and the world in U.S. The world again coming up. 
What do you think? Uh, um, I know that, uh, um, again, COVID put a, a hit on a lot of stuff, but I think Scott Evans done a pretty good job of recovering. There was the competition in, in the um, the Mondial was yeah. not that long ago. Yep. Were you guys there for that? Yes. Were there. And I heard that that was a, a overall a really good competition, that they did uh, as good as they could to try and uh, do well for everybody. The weather kind of cooperated. Yeah, the weather didn't help. And the splitting in two weeks was weird. Um, but um, competition-wise, was was top of the line. Like awesome. it looked like everybody was bringing the game, you know, like there wasn't as many competitors, but the ones that were there, they were fully committed. You know, I nice. finished, I finished fourth. I got a gold medal in speed. Um, Franco did like 10 overall. Something like that. That's one of the cool things, especially about CP is um, just because you weren't in the standings the year before or even the competition before doesn't mean you're not going to take the podium the next time around. I mean, it seems to always be a game of inches, right? It's always so close from the top 20 guys. Any, it's anybody's game. Yeah. yeah if and- you miss one of the jumps, if you get the zero, you are down the la- down the list. So it's, it's a mental game as well. Yeah, uh, I believe that the people with most more experience are more used to that game. They can handle this. They can handle it. Yeah. Um, but if you make it one mistake, it's really hard to go back to the first place. Sure. So uh, you have to be playing at that level all the time, and it's a really tough game. Yeah. yeah well, and bad. the other cool thing too about uh, uh, canopy piloting is, especially down the line, it's one of the few disciplines in skydiving that is spectator friendly. Um, and I love it. I like it. Canopy piloting and the wind tunnel, I think, are the only two ways forward to the general public and a foot in the door for maybe the Olympics down the road. You guys are still young, man. I mean, there's a chance that uh, you could be battling it out in the Olympics. How fucking cool would that be? That would be awesome. But the first try will be the World, the world Games again this year that yeah. are in the, in the kind of Olympic uh, setup and uh, will be in Birmingham, Alabama in uh, June, July. 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 Um, we both qualified there. So awesome. let's see how these uh, new rules set up, the works there in the stadium with public and everything. So, That's a, another super cool thing about the sport too is the random places that you end up. From Argentina, and you guys are going to end up in Birmingham, Alabama. That's we end up in Siberia. In Siberia, in, in a the tent. Of nowhere. <laughs> I'm guessing that that's not, these are not places that were on your list of places no, to go just, beforehand. But how cool is that? In just New Zealand, China, Russia, like we've been all over the place yeah. because of the passion for canopy fire. Yeah. So. Well, and you get there and find out that regardless of the accent, it's the same people. That's the coolest thing about it too. Is is skydiving in general? If you're a skydiver, you're a skydiver. There's there. It doesn't matter where you're from or how you were raised. We're a little bit different. Funny story. Like, what was that? Five years ago, six, maybe seven years ago, I went to US. Like, I didn't have many jumps. Right. But I couldn't speak any English. It was none. Didn't exist. Uh, and then I met Kurt and Ginny Bartholomew there. Yeah. And I we went for dinner to their place. And I was like, yeah, this is me. <laughs> hello. Franco, hello. Yeah. I couldn't speak any English. Uh, and we still remember that story. And yeah. Like, aye, aye, aye. To end up with a bunch of skydivers responsible for your cultural upbringing in English. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell. Uh, I mean, that's... You got to love, especially the skydiver sense of humor when it comes to stuff like that. They must have had some fun teaching you English. Oof. <laughs> 
Oh, we, we, Mexicans were teaching me English. So it was bad. <laughs> I remember these guys, they were like, yeah, I cannot say here, yeah, but yeah, they were teaching me. Oh, yeah, you can say stuff. it. <laughs> like, <laughs> They've heard it. I, I was walking around saying, hey, hi, bitch, how are you? And oh, that's people funny. didn't know what I was saying. Like, what is this guy saying? And the Mexican guy was laughing at me. Like, that's wonderful. I'm like, I'm like I'm sorry, I didn't know what I said. We, uh, <laughs> we just, that's the sense of humor, right? My old yeah. boss at, uh, um, at the first place I ever t flew Twin Otters at had to go run some errands and gave me his four-year-old son. Hey, can you watch the kid for an hour? Sure, no problem. And so I had the kid on my hip walking around the drop zone for an hour going, fucking duck, fucking duck. That's his dad's name. Fucking duck, fucking duck. And as soon as dad comes back, I'm here you go and ran away. Fucking duck. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Just this kind of her sense of humor. So what what can you get away with? Yeah, so lots of competitions right now. You guys are working, doing the instructor thing as well? Yes. Yeah, we're now in the Middle East. Uh, we just arrived, having a blast. And just keep keep pushing through the limits, you know, like getting back into like a routine and just doing a bunch of day and then being able to coach in this side of the world is good too. Nice. Um, and just getting ready for the next season. Nice. Nice. Now, social media wise, how do people follow you so they can, if they want to get some coaching or they want to see what competitions you're going to tell us all about that and tell us uh, who the sponsors are so we can give a shout out to them as well. Yeah. Darman Franco and Darman Marcos on Instagram, Facebook and other social media. TikTok. Awesome. Um, the Alter Ego Project. We work with Kuranjini and Alex in the, in the school. Awesome. Too. Um, Darman Brothers is another place where they can find us. Um, the Diamond Brothers. I love that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. There's and a then, funny story about that. Please, please. For another day. No, um, we were competing with my dad and doing some demos on kind of a formation. And one of the, the speakers uh, in one of the events, uh, they just start going with like, the Dharmas, the Dharmas, the, the Dharman Brothers, because my dad, it's, now just about to turn 60 um and i was 18 so we were just jumping together but uh just people keep figuring out like, which one is the oldest <laughs> <laughs> your dad must have loved that yeah he loved it <laughs> he's a he's a charm and then just the the speaker just went with Darman brothers and he stayed there and one day he was in new zealand and one friend just like i get you a logo and we they just build the brand you know and it's like how cool is that it's good. Oh, why not? Yeah, I got accidentally nicknamed Princess 25 years ago into this fucking day. Hence the, the crown on top of my microphone and yeah. shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it takes a real man to <laughs> get, get nicknamed <laughs> fucking Princess. Uh, so sponsors, who sponsor you guys? Um, PD, Sampat, SSK, Cookie. Ooh, PD, the competition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They treat us pretty well. Um, we do grow up jumping all kind of canopies. Sure. Uh, we love them flying. Um one of the best advice I give to my students is like try every kind of you sure. get hands on. Well, let's face it. Uh, the top manufacturers are all putting out incredible gear. It all boils down to um, the performance that each particular pilot wants, especially when it comes to canopies. So, I mean, you choose what you what you like for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. and, and uh, both PD and NZ Aerosports will both say they enjoy the competitions that are going on because it's back and forth between them all the time. It's good. It pushes push the, the limits. Absolutely. Uh, Different styles of flying as well. So you may like this or you may like that, and you can choose between both yeah. of them. Yeah. So it's it's, oh, it's incredible. To, to it's see. also good to have the option. Yes. You know, like I want to fly this style or I want to fly this style. For sure. So it's good to have both. 
So I always wrap things up by asking um, what advice you guys might have to newer jumpers that are coming up. In fact, I've been interacting a lot with a, a Facebook page that's all a beginner skydiving forum, and there's always questions coming in um, about what advice to give from people just starting the sport that are seeing canopy pilot uh, piloting stuff and, and want to know, I'm at 18 jumps. What's the route should, that I should be thinking of? So what advice do you have to, to people like that? I have one. Please. Canopy collisions happens. Mm. So make Fucking sure hell. that you're doing a nice landing pattern and you are, whenever we are getting all close to the ground, make sure that you have people, you know where they are. Sure. You know? So make sure that you do a nice landing pattern. Uh, you're not going crazy all around the drop zone or just spiraling down, mm. trying to overtake people if you don't have to. Sure. So that's one of Nice. Um, if it's canopy related, uh, our brain needs to go faster than our parachute. Mm. If we are not able to think ahead and we are getting rushed under canopy, it's because we're probably in the wrong canopy. Sure. And there's a lot of ways to to fix that. Could be maybe you just need to fly more in brakes. You know, just like chill. Maybe step away from the big drop zone for a little bit. Go to a little Cessna drop zone mm. and just. Know people around you, get comfortable flying with other parachutes, and then you get back into the mess. But I just don't rush into the big, uh, massive drop zone with tight landing area and a lot of crazy canopies. Sure. Because that will frustrate you and put you in danger as you and the others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the canopy collision stuff, I mean, imagine if an airport was run like a drop zone and you had, you know, 20 airplanes coming in from every fucking direction doing whatever the hell they wanted. All in emergencies, state because we, we can't power up and go up again, you know? Yeah. Like we are, we don't have any power. Yeah. So everybody's going to go to the same spot. Yep. At the same time, pretty much. So if you have the skills or the tools, use them to slow it down, let the other pass, and then you can work. For sure. Now, what do you, what advice do you give to old fuckers like me that might be getting burned out? Um, they've been doing it a long time and they're wondering if they should stay in the sport. My dad got some coaching from me the other day. Uh, he learned something. Really? So just get, get, get going again. You know, it's like there's new things happening. There's uh, new techniques and there's new models of parachutes. There will be something that will call your attention and engage you again. Just need to be with the right people. So sure. keep, keep uh, shining time in the drop zone. Keep having drinks with the uh, sunset. And then try to figure out which way you want to nice. keep going. But nice. there's, there's always a, like an ocean there. I think sure. Too. By the way, very cool that you coached your dad. That's awesome. <laughs> it's cool. And what do you think? For anybody getting burned out? Uh, start with crew. Maybe it's another thing. Something yeah, different. Something different, you know. Start with something different and push your limits. Never never stop learning. Nice. That, that's, I believe that's something that everybody wants, you know. Like never stop learning and yeah. challenge yourself. And that's, well, that's, 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 that's the recipe for... Passion. Recipe for pleasure and and uh, long life in this sport is never stop learning. I've said it years and years ago. The day I think I've got it all figured out is the day I take up golf. Because if you think you know everything that's coming in this sport, one <laughs> yeah. one of the things that happened to me when I, I was like doing everything in the drops is that I, no one was there to say no. Mm. And I got comfortable in the canopy and I started doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, and no one was limiting me. Sure. The only thing that kept me alive was from time to time to say, like, I'm going to downsize. I'm going to change canopy. So I'm scared again, mm -hmm. you know, just to to be res 
respectful from what, what I'm doing. Sure. So it happens that if you've been for many years in the same year, in the same activity, doing the same thing, you're risking yourself by not being afraid. Sure, you start to get complacent. Yeah. For so, sure. So so if if you want to change there, it will give you the, the chills again and it will push you and then we'll like you conquer that and it's like, oh, I can do this. Sure. And then you are able to move into How bizarre skydivers are that we're so highly motivated by fear in a good way. In a good way. In a very yeah. positive way. I had taken a huge break from skydiving. And the only reason I started jumping again is because a good buddy of mine suggested we go make a jump and it made me nervous. I went, oh, fuck. All right. Yeah, I suppose I should go jump again. I just got butterflies. And then I went and became a fun jumper and... Still going. I have a BK 67 if you want to try. <laughs> I'll pass for a little while. I'll give me I, a chills. I'm hitting that up uh, upsizing phase. Oh. <laughs> Gentlemen, cheers to this. Thank you Thank so you much for much. taking the time. Very cool. I Everybody needs to check you guys out. Uh, follow for coaching, follow for competitions, all that stuff. Guys, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving, go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD, head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Thank you.